Welcome to this sermon from Silver Lake Baptist Church. Our mission is to celebrate the greatness of God with all we are for the joy, hope, and renewal of our community. We are so glad you have chosen to listen to our message. We pray you will be blessed by your time with us today. Well, here I am. <laughs> it seems to me like... I think that's a song. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. It seems to me like whenever I preach, odd things are going on. <laughs> See, obviously we got the smoke today. That's odd. Last time was the first time we were back together after having been gone, you know, worshiping from home. A couple times before that, it got canceled because it was all flooded out here. <laughs> I don't know. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do where I think God's leading me. I'm going to keep telling you about his word. Yep. Yay. <laughs> So, there's other odd things going on in the world. The, the following uh, article is just an excerpt from an article, an Associated Press article from July 25th, 2020, entitled, Police Declare Riot at Seattle Protests and Make Arrests. Yeah. Seattle Police declared a riot on Saturday, July 25th, following large demonstrations in the city's Capitol Hill neighborhood and deployed flashbangs and pepper spray to try to clear an area near where weeks earlier people had set up an occupied protest zone that stretched for several blocks. Via Twitter, police said that they had made more than two dozen arrests for assault on officers, obstruction, and failure to disperse. They also said they were investigating a possible explosive explosive damage to the walls of the city's East Precinct police station. Authorities said rocks, bottles, fireworks, and mortars were thrown at officers as they attempted to clear the area over the course of several hours stretching into Saturday night. One officer was hospitalized with a leg injury caused by an explosive. Thousands of protesters had initially gathered peacefully near downtown in a show of solidarity with fellow demonstrators in Portland, Oregon, where tensions with federal law enforcement have boiled over during protests stemming from the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Initially, there was no sign of law enforcement near the Seattle March. Later, Seattle police said via Twitter that about a dozen people breached the construction site for the King County Youth Detention Facility. Also, police said protesters broke out windows at a King County court facility. After the fire at the construction site, authorities said they had ordered people to leave a different area in a section of Capitol Hill near downtown where the East Precinct is. At least one person broke through a fence line at the, pro- at the precinct, authorities said, and moments later a device exploded, leaving an eight-inch hole in the side of the precinct. So this is just, you know, you've, I'm sure that you've heard about these things going on, and this is just an example. This is a summary of a riot that happened in Seattle this summer, but what we're going to read about today is one that happened 2,000 years ago in Ephesus. So let's pray. God, speak to us this morning through your word. Holy Spirit, move in power in our hearts and our lives. Speak through me this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. It's 
go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 19, verse 21. It's been a while since we were in here. Acts 19, verse 21. Now, after these things were finished, <laughs> wait, stop. Wait, what things were these? It's, it's been so long. Paul is in Ephesus, remember, He's, which is on the coast of modern-day southwest Turkey. I know I usually have maps, uh, but we were going to be outside, and I didn't think you could see them very well, but, so you can just use your imagination. Here's Turkey, right? Here's Ephesus down in the corner. It was the capital city of what they called Asia, with a population of about 3,000 people. Paul has been there for two years, which is quite a long time for him to be in one place. He had been sharing the gospel throughout the whole region so that in, back in verse 10, Acts 19.10, Luke says, All who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And he doesn't mean that Paul spoke to everyone in Turkey. The gospel spreads through multiplication. He told two friends, and they told two friends, and so on, and so on, and so on. We're going to see some of the results of this later. So even in verse 20, right before this, so the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. So finishing up, going back to verse 21 now. Now after these things were finished, Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia. Remember Macedonia? So here's, here's over here is Asia, what they call Asia. We call it Turkey. Macedonia is northern Greece. Okay, Achaia is just south of it in the middle and southern Greece. Um, the cities of Philippi and Thessalonica are in Macedonia. Paul had been there before on his second missionary journey. Um, there's A, G, and C is between these two here. Um, the, in, in, in Achaia are the cities of Athens and Corinth. So Paul was going there to collect a gift for the believers in Jerusalem. And he wrote about this trip in his letter to the Christians in Rome, Romans 15, 25. But now I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things in Jerusalem... They are indebted to them to minister also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go by way of you in Rome to Spain. So these, these were Paul's plans that he, had, that he was planning to do. And they weren't just uh, off-the-wall plans. It's, it says earlier that he purposed in the Spirit, meaning that's what the, he felt the Spirit was telling him to do. So then the last part of that, verse 21, after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, I, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he's saying the same thing again. And when he says, after I have been there, he means Jerusalem. He was planning to go to Rome on his way to Spain. But I don't think he was planning to go in the way that he did. If you know the rest of the story, it's uh, not a direct route. <laughs> Verse 22, and having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So Paul sent a couple helpers on ahead while he stayed in Ephesus. Timothy, we know, 
Erastus is somebody that we don't know. It's, it was kind of a common name. These two verses, talking about what Paul's going to do, might seem a little out of place given what we're about to read, but they're not. Luke wants to make it clear that Paul was planning to leave Ephesus even before this next thing took place. This next thing, verse 23. About that time, there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way. While Paul was getting, re- getting ready to leave Ephesus, something happened. No small disturbance concerning the way is Luke's way of saying, a huge disturbance affecting the church. <laughs> Let's see what this disturbance was. Verse 24. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. Silver shrines of Artemis. These are miniature temples of the goddess of Artemis, or Diana in Latin, if you have a King James. She was the Greek goddess of fertility. The temple of Artemis in Ephesus was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was four times larger than the Parthenon in Athens. It had 127 pillars, each 60 feet high. That's, uh, that's impressive today. And in the ancient world, it was really something. Luke says that Demetrius was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. In other words, they were selling tons of these silver miniatures, making a lot of money. Verse 25, these craftsmen, he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, Men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. You see in here that not only in Ephesus, but almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. Not only is there danger of this trade of ours falling into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. He was really getting worked up there. (laughs) So Demetrius gathers all these craftsmen and workers together and talks about how this Paul, said with a sneer, this Paul, you can't see my sneers, is interfering with their commerce, meddling with their prosperity, messing with their livelihood. But then he goes on to get the crowd really worked up over the city's pride and joy, the Temple of Artemis which, by the way, brought large numbers of pilgrims or tourists to town, along with all their money. He knew how to manipulate the crowd that he was talking to. I'm guessing that he was the president of the silversmiths' union. (laughs) I I mean, guild. They didn't have unions back then. (laughs) But let's look at this little speech from a different point of view. After only two years in Ephesus, Christianity, the gospel had spread so much that Demetrius, who was, of course, not a believer, could say that throughout the whole region, many people had been persuaded. So many that it was certainly affecting their business. Can we say the same thing today? Is Christianity, have any, is Christianity having such an impact on unbiblical businesses that they are in danger of falling into disrepute? Businesses like gambling, Drugs, pornography, human trafficking. Even the effectiveness of Madison Avenue, the advertising that is everywhere, 
that appeals to our desire to have more and more. It seems like the church in America may not be as effective as we like to think. And, you know, it's not idolatry here in the sense of silver miniatures that we're up against, but materialism and greed and covetousness. 1 Timothy 4.9 says, But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But, but what can we do? The only person I can change is myself. Paul tells us a little further on in his letter to Timothy, in verse, 17, verse Timothy 4, 17, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Back to Acts in verse 28. When they heard this, they were filled with rage and began crying out, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Megadehe Artemis Ephesion! Yeah, they were worked up. And this chant they were shouting made it sound like they were being patriotic. And it sounds better than chanting, Our sails are down! Our sails are down! <laughs> Although that's really what they were concerned about. Verse 29, the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. So this theater that the confused crowd rushed into was the city's amphitheater. It had a capacity of almost 25,000 people. It was big. It was the regular meeting place for the city's civic assembly that met three times a month, where laws were passed and officials were elected. But this was not a regular meeting. The mob couldn't find Paul, so they grabbed two of his buddies and dragged them along. Things were getting ugly. Verse 30. When Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him. Paul found out about about this and wanted to face the mob, not only to free his friends, but most likely to share the good news with this throng. What an opportunity, right? But the other Christians would not let him go, wouldn't let him go in. They held him back. This is an important detail that's easy to overlook. This godly man was about to make a probably fatal mistake, but God used his friends to stop him. It reminds me of Proverbs 24.11. Deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to slaughter. Oh, hold them back. Verse 31, also some of the Asiarchs, Asiarchs who were friends of his, of Paul's, sent to him repeatedly, urged him not to venture into the theater. Asiarchs, what or who are Asiarchs? So these guys were officials over the whole Roman province of Asia, Turkey, along with those who held the office previously. They were friends of Paul's and clearly understood what the mob would do to him if they got the chance. So how were these high officials friends with Paul? 
Clearly, Paul had made it a goal to be friends with them in just two short years, even though he most likely disagreed with their politics. It really, it reminds me of Billy Graham, the preacher to the presidents. Besides preaching the gospel to 210 million people in 185 countries, Billy Graham befriended 11 presidents in a row. Why? Was it to influence their decisions? To sway them one way or another? To show his support for their policies? I don't think so. I think Billy Graham loved them and prayed for them and prayed with them, much like I picture Paul doing with the Asiarchs 2,000 years ago. This is the book that I thought of. It's, a, it's an excellent book written by uh, people that aren't Christians, but we're very impressed with Billy Graham and his ministry to presidents, among other things, but this is particularly about that. Verse 32. So then, some were shouting something and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and the majority did not know for what reason they had come together. <laughs> it's easy to picture, isn't it? <laughs> and I think this is some of Luke's sense of humor, too. I heard the crowd and came running. <laughs> Why are we here? <laughs> no, Can't you just see that? Verse 33. Some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander, since the Jews had put him forward. And having motioned with his hand, Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. We're not really sure who Alexander is. <laughs> He's probably not the Alexander the coppersmith mentioned in 2 Timothy. In fact, the meaning of the Greek in the first part of the verse isn't really all that clear. It seems like this man was intending to try to excuse the Jews from blame and disown Paul, but he never got a chance to. Verse 34, when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry arose from them all as they shouted for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Apparently, it was well known that the Jews didn't think much of Artemis, so it set them off again. Artemis Ephesion. Verse 35. After quieting the crowd, the town clerk says, stop there. Town clerk is probably not the best title for this guy. He'd be more like chief executive or mayor. He was the chief administrative officer, the, lia the liaison between the city and local Roman administration. The very fact that he was able to get the crowd to quiet down shows that he had good authority, especially in this amphitheater where he ran the usual meetings. So back to verse 35. After quieting the crowd, the town clerk said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there after all who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of the image which fell down from heaven? There's something in the mayor's opening that can be easily missed. He uses the same words that the crowd has been chanting. Great Artemis of the Ephesians. Right? That's what they're saying. He's basically saying, everyone knows this thing you've been chanting for the last two hours. It's nothing new. It's not in dispute. <laughs> also, I see that Artemis' image was apparently a meteorite, a blobby rock that fell from the sky. <laughs> I guess men will worship anything. <laughs> Verse 36. This is still the, the mayor talking. 
So since these are undeniable facts, you ought to keep calm and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of our goddess. Verse 38. So then, if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against any man, the courts are in session and proconsuls are available. Let them bring charges against one another. Notice that the mayor had taken the time to find out the facts. The men that the mob had grabbed on the way, Gaius and Aristarchus, weren't guilty of anything. Demetrius and the craftsmen had a complaint against someone. The mayor kept a calm head and didn't jump to any conclusions. Verse 39, he continues, But if you want anything beyond this, it shall be settled in the lawful assembly. Verse 44, Indeed, we are in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's events, since there is no real cause for it. And in this connection, we will be unable to account for this disorderly gathering. There was a right way and a wrong way to address grievances against each other in this civilized city. Clearly, this mob was an illegal assembly, a disorderly gathering. And if the Roman authorities questioned the mayor about it, he wouldn't be able to provide a reasonable explanation for why it happened. If the Romans declared it a riot, Ephesus could lose the right to govern itself, and the mayor would lose his job, if not his life. He had successfully quelled the riot before it really started. You know, these days it's popular in a lot of groups to diss politicians we agree with. This is not biblical. Romans 13.1 Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who are opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. It is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. It's important to remember that Paul wrote these words to the Romans in a day when many of the authorities were truly corrupt. We have no excuse for defying authorities except when they oppose God's law. Back to Acts Verse 41, after saying this, he dismissed the assembly, which is what I'm about to do. (laughs) (laughs) Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the authorities you put over us, even when we don't agree with them. I thank you that you are watching over us. All the odd things that happen, nothing is surprising to you. You, uh, You are immortal, invisible, God only wise. We love you this morning. Help us to follow you, obey your word, and love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You are dismissed. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, check out our website at www.silverlakebaptist.org.